Everything Never Happens podcast is a concrete example of popular education for movement building and social change. As defined by the Highlander Research and Education Center, popular education is a participatory process that combines people's experiences to develop collective analyses and strategies for action for positive social change. This campaign in our college has been a long haul, and we are continuing to make the road by walking, to use Miles Horton's terms. The struggle for a true living wage is complex. For example, our dining hall staff are divided into Agnes Scott employees, Laborers International Union with facility staff, and Aramark, four years now unionized with SEIU. Aramark staff have four months a year with no work or pay as seasonal school employees in Georgia. So there is a continued urgency to do this justice work. For another example, our outsourced landscaping staff have zero sick days and greatly reduced vacation time with the new company. In addition to working on undoing structural oppressions, the campaign has over the past 25 years founded an employee emergency fund and English for Speakers of Other Languages courses. Hourly staff and students are the core leaders of the movement, and any significant change is from their coalition work, along with the support from community partners. So how do we educate at an institution that has as its mission statement, Agnes Scott College educates women to think deeply, live honorably, and engage the intellectual and social challenges of their time. We are living in a time in this campaign when we are needing to undo the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and new Jim Crow. We in the Living Wage Campaign take this mission seriously and stand with our colleagues to work for a just campus. In the words of one custodian, I choose to stand and make a difference. On February 16th, 2018, which was Founders Day at Agnes Scott, the Agnes Scott College Living Wage Campaign held an economic justice teach-in to raise awareness, educate, and movement build. The Living Wage Campaign has three major focus points, just wages, institutional respect, and democratic workplace. We are a coalition of hourly staff, students, a few salaried staff and faculty, and fabulous community partners. For example, Atlanta Jobs with Justice, the Teamsters, WRFG, Radio Free Georgia's Labor Forum, Project South, Atlanta 9 to 5, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, and Faculty Forward for contingent faculty. At the event, we celebrated the work of past activists, Mrs. Dallas Gurley Bell and Ms. Carrie Wells co-founders of the first and oldest unionized facility staff in the U.S. South. We have links uh, on the website to the story of the founding of this union uh, in which uh, Dallas Burley Bell and Ma Maggie Ivey, both uh, retired custodians with over 40 years' experience at Agnes Scott, um, they tell the founding of the Union in a People's Her Story of Agnes Scott segment. Alumna and former Agnes Scott College Living Wage Campaign organizer Jillian Wells, class of 2010, served as our MC for the hour and a half teach-in event. 
Another alumna activist, Helen Cox, also class of 2010, joined us and offered historical perspective. Dr. Nathan Grigsby, music director for the Joyful Noise Gospel Choir at Agnes Scott, brought two soloists to add music to our event. So in true Highlander Center fashion and movement building fashion in the South, uh, we had gospel music to uh, inspire us. Uh, we also had uh, community partners, uh, Neil Sardana of Atlanta Jobs with Justice, as well as Ann Olson of Human Rights Atlanta, uh, student activists and activists from um, our unionized staff in dining hall and facilities. Uh, also posted on the Nothing Never Happens website, uh, www.tinapippin.org, are uh, videos from the original Living Wage video from 2007, uh, made by Agnes Scott alumna and disability rights activist Mia Mingus, and also um, the interview with uh, that was done by Diane Mathewitz and Paul McLannan of the WRFG Labor Forum um, with uh, Della Spurley Bell and me. Uh, there are also links to the videos that we ask our community partners and alumni and any other supporters to do. Uh, why I support a true living wage at Agnes Scott College in one to two minutes or less. And you can see those videos also linked on the website. Um, so as an example of popular education, uh, I wanted to um, post both the audio and links to the, the longer video of the teach-in. It's an example of what one small liberal arts college in the South um, is attempting to do in terms of the ongoing struggle for justice on our small campus. Also have uh, Miss Carrie. Miss Carrie is back here. So just throw up a hand there. She served a similar role in terms of making Agnes livable, making Agnes work. And how many years were you? Uh, how many years of service did we put in Agnes? Four to three. All right, not a small number, y'all. And I've got uh, Helen Cox, who is also a student agitator here in the Living Wage Campaign. Throw up a hand. You have a lovely dress. Make sure people can see you. And I also want to uh, note the faculty and staff that are, that are putting in a nice effort, nice presence here. 
Uh, we got Dr. Nathan Grigsby, who has put in 30 years at the campus here Woo. in Joyful Noise. Looking sharp over there, as always. And we also want to acknowledge Calvin Bergamy, who is heading the, cam the camera here. I'm trying to make me look good as best as you can. Uh, it's always important to note, we do put a great emphasis with our paperwork and with our uh, some of the rhetoric and some of the uh, documentation that we're putting out on the low-wage hourly faculty and staff, but when it comes to livable wages, we've got a lot of adjunct faculty, and we have a lot of staff that's in the academic arm of the campus that are not meeting the livable wage needs that they need to have met, so they need to be acknowledged and appreciated as well. And we've got Dr. Jan Willis here, and I remember you spoke at an MLK convocation when I was a student, so I'm so glad to see you on the payroll. Very good to see you. And let's see, and I've got some local union and social justice rights folks that are here, Peter, who I just met. And I'm not, I don't remember everybody's name, but they, we got the free MC here. You're gonna work with what you got. And doing great. we're gonna go ahead and hop into our program because at, we're gonna aim to get Ms. Zion. Um, Zion, if you, Ms. Martin here, throw up a hand here. Beautiful voice, beautiful part of uh, Joyful Noise. She's gonna make her contribution about 11.55, make sure I stay on time. And then about 12.30, we've got Victoria Wallace. She's also gonna be making her contribution there in the back when we make sure they get their acknowledgement. Uh, we're taking a multifaceted approach to this social justice movement and to this program. So throughout, make sure that your voices are joyful and get heard as well. We have an open mic for any questions or any comments anybody wants to put in. I'm Dr. Colleen Wessel McCoy, and I'm a proud graduate of Agnes Scott class of 2001. And I'm so grateful for my academic formation and leadership development at Agnes Scott. I would not be the person I am today without the community of fellow students, administrators, faculty, and staff who nurtured me as my life and my commitments took shape. Agnes Scott raises generations of leaders for all spheres of society. But that formation falls short if it models for us that it's okay for workers who give their time and talents to make sure that we have good food to eat and clean spaces to work themselves have to choose between paying rent and buying groceries or between gas and childcare. I actually find it confusing that we think it's okay to not pay workers a livable wage. We are in effect saying that because we can get away with it legally, it's okay. But we shouldn't confuse legal with right. It's true that paying poverty wages is legal. It's also true that for generations, Agnes Scott only accepted white students, and that too was legal. Ultimately, we as a nation must realize that poverty wages are not only immoral, but detrimental economically. But as we work for that day, we should be a dissenting voice. Agnes Scott's a leader among its peers in so many ways. We should be a headlight on the question of living wages rather than a taillight. And then it can be said one day that Agnes Scott saw the difference between what is legal and what is moral and just. We can form generations of Scotties who know that all labor has dignity and that all people have the right to meet the needs of themselves and their families. And in so doing, we continue to shape leaders who can make possible the world we all deserve and not the world we can get away with. But I mainly wanted to prompt the audience with two questions. What is a livable wage, which is a question we can answer well enough, um, either factually with some of the details we have on the table, and then through our own experiences, wages that allow you to live your life without any compromises, without any extra support. 
And then there's also the question, which is a deeper question, has deeper implications of what is work? What do we value? What, can, what contributions are considered visible? Whose contributions get seen more and get lauded more than others? And what contributions keep an institution like this functioning and worthy of lauding and worthy of praise? So I'd want to see what your answers are when it comes to the what is work question. Okay. Um, to me, I think that work is really anything that we put our time and our substance towards. So it can be it can be emotional labor, it can be physical, it can be making sure that the floors are clean, and um, it could be making sure food is made. Um, and, and all of these jobs are so important, integral into all of our lives, um, and yet they're oftentimes um, discounted. And so I think the work on this campus was so lovely to be a part of because um, we were able to build relationships with um, as students, uh, with workers, as faculty, um, and we were able to build a community. And to me, that's what was really special about this. Um, and to me, I think relationship building is at the root of why um, we need to continue this work. And that's how I think that people really change. Um, and that's how I think power gets changed. Um, and so it's been, I mean, it was eye-opening for me to be a part of this campaign. Um, and to value the different types of work and to understand it. Um, and I just feel really grateful for that. Um, the only people that I continue to keep in touch with are living wage folks from college. Um, and I don't think that's an accident. It's because I became family. Um, so even if I'm a bad child and sometimes don't call people like I should, <laughs> I will be better. And um, I feel really grateful for that. It's a long-winded answer. But no, excellent answer. What was the other part? I guess I want, I want to flesh it out. There are two elements to work that I'd mentioned. Uh, what is valued and what is visible. And when we're talking about conversations within social justice about work, how it should be paid for, how it should be acknowledged, there's usually a dichotomy, there's usually a split based on who you're talking to. What work is considered worth a certain amount of money and what work yields the most benefit to the greatest amount of people. I think... Um, Skylar Washington, you couldn't really hear her. She has like this nice, beautiful, ruddy voice, but it was awful to hear in terms of our audiovisual uh, capabilities. She would kick my butt if she heard me. <laughs> but she was mentioning how she spoke to um, uh, Miss Veronica, who, played, uh, who would handle Winship and Walters when we were students here. She talked to Miss Veronica more often than she talked to the professors mm -hmm. or to her own faculty advisors about adjusting to being in Atlanta, coming from Louisiana, and having all the pressures of being the oldest child in the family, and just uh, those kind of connections really get made to such a huge, unspoken, profound extent uh, with the custodial, because so, that's a very intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. That work is valuable to a means that can't really be easily quantified by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, but it's something that keeps um, alumni like myself coming back and looking for that staff. They're the first people I look for whenever I'm back in. And that's one thing I'm really noticing now. So um, since I graduated in 2010, I've been doing union and nonprofit work, um, but I'm now making the transition to school counseling, um, which is really interesting. But um, the part that I that I think is particularly important is building relationships as a school counselor with, with bus drivers, with custodial staff, with um, cafeteria workers. Because oftentimes you're right, they do know the kids better than anyone else, and they're going to know what's up. 
and um, and that's something that I haven't seen valued as much within the profession. I feel like I feel like they are you know they are mental health workers, um, and so I think that we've all got to work together to make sure our kids are okay. And then just making sure that we have the institutional backing. We're not just saying a lot of pretty words. We're not just putting an emphasis of lip service in terms of living honorably, but making sure that how things are administered are done so honorably. That's really like a key element that we would emphasize a lot. Uh, one of our teachings ended up in us marching across campus and crashing a board trustees meeting. I only mention that because there's a lot of them on campus, given today's uh, the Founders Day convocation, as worth mentioning. And we've got the advent of a new president coming on board, I believe, uh, beginning of next semester, next next year. So making sure we put up the, what's, what's, I'm so sorry, I am oh, so out of touch. I'm just trying to survive on the outside. Who's the new president? Anybody remember? Leah Coldia Zach, that's the last name, President Zach, all right. Uh, looking forward to seeing that installation at when it comes about, but this is even more reason to make sure with this turning a new leaf, this turning of a new administration, that we turn up the heat, mm -hmm. we keep start hitting her feet to the fire, because we pretty much did the same thing with President Keish. Uh, President Keish came on to Agnes Scott the same year that we came on his first year, so technically she's part of our class. <laughs> Who remembers the welcoming we gave her? You do. Let's, 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 let's delve into it. So, um, so that whole so that whole year, we had been having really we had been forming a relationship with President Keish, and um, we had conversations. They weren't really going anywhere, which didn't really surprise us. But um, what we were able to do when she was um, finally inaugurated in April is that we had a presidential welcoming, and so we got the backing of United Students Against Sweatshops, um, which Neil was a part of at the time, also, <laughs> uh, or maybe not that I don't remember, but. Um, but we were all connected. So we got people from across the country to call and fax and email in, and we shut down their systems because of so many messages saying, welcome President Keish, um, you know, now do the right thing. So that was really the first time that we escalated um, with her being in that seat. Um, and it was, it was fun. Yeah. fun. There was the start of, you know, an ongoing campaign that was really applying pressure along the way. And it was a great emphasis, a great way uh, to remind the wider community that being involved in the living wage campaign, it's great if you can attend an hour and a half teaching throughout all the way through, but that's not practical for most of y'all. And that's not practical for most of the faculty and staff. So we have regular meetings, we have our demonstrations, we have our mailing letters, we have our Facebook presence, we have our YouTube presence that you can utilize, and then we utilize that to mobilize at times of great action, like that call-in, like the marches that we had. And is this important, like, your being, continuing to be aware of little ways to question things, what you can push back against is going to be key. Well, Jillian, I think you brought up a really good point within the video, talking about how the connection to our staff, it was, you know, how Agnes Scott treats its workers is often how it treats its students as well. And on that note, and I, once again, I apologize for my appearance there. I, it was it was finals, <laughs> and I just, mostly, most of the students, the closer you get to the end of the semester, the less you really care about how you look on camera. Um, had a do-rag and, and a hoodie, I'm proud of you. Um, but... What I was referring to was like my first day on the campus. We were, family was here, we were unloading, getting up to uh, Walter's second floor, moving in. And I had a parent, not a person of color,
but she was demanding to know why there wasn't enough toilet paper in the campus bathroom, in the bathroom on the hall. And I was like, ma'am, I don't even know where the bathroom is. I'm just moving things in. I'm trying to assemble a bed. Uh, let's see if we can find someone who can assist you with that. And I, having had parents raised in Jim Crow South, understanding the history of institutions that were founded by a Confederate colonel, basically, um, it's a little, it, uh, it's a little hard to not um, be. I wasn't necessarily offended by it because I saw it coming. If I could be honest with you. But that did inform my involvement in organizations like the Living Wage Campaign, as well as being co-president for four years of the Black Student Association here at Kazi. It's hard to not see yourself identify yourself a certain way. Like I'm never going to extricate my extra, I'm never going to extricate myself, regardless of what money or what degrees I ever get, from those that look like me and have the most relevant experiences to my experience. The things that happened with Ms. Della, with Mr. Mobley, I felt that. I felt a personal responsibility to speak up for that. And that's the kind of thing that we want to emphasize with Living Wage, making it a multifaceted, inclusive message and environment. We need everybody to truly see themselves in the fate and in the treatment of others who aren't exactly like them. Because we're more alike than we think. And when we do that work together, we do that collective work, the results that we can yield are just powerful continue to be powerful. And I'm not sure what else we can add to that. All right. So I did want to emphasize, acknowledge current students. These old fogies have been up here running our mouths. Thank you so much, Helen. Uh, we wanted to see if there are any current uh, living wage campaign participants that we could acknowledge and maybe y'all could give us an idea of what's been going on on the campus. Do we know anybody or we want to give some acknowledgement in, in absentia? Yeah, we're rebuilding the movement. Uh, like many college and university campuses, uh, student leadership comes in waves, uh, and we're about to experience a resurgence. Um, and thanks to our alumni for being here to help. You know, if, if we sometimes we got to bend the arc toward justice <laughs> together, right? But I want to acknowledge our community partners who yes. are here, who have dropped yes, in yes. and may have to, you know, go off to other things. Um, we've got Atlanta Jobs with Justice and Neil Sardana, and we have Paul McLennan with uh, uh, WRFG 89.3 FM Labor Forum. And uh, Della and I, um, they hosted us on the Labor Forum on Monday, for which we are very grateful, and also aired our PSAs. Uh, we've got Ann Olson from Atlanta Human Rights and um, uh, the Atlanta Living Wage Campaign. Uh, we've Got of course Miss uh, Della, Mrs. Della Spurley Bell now, and um, she's still Miss Della, no matter what. <laughs> Miss Carrie Wells, John Mobley. Um, I want to acknowledge y'all's presence in the room and just open the mic up. We want to know why people are here um, and uh, give gratitude to everybody who's in the room. So I want to uh, welcome Neil and Paul and Ann and whoever wants to come to the mic.
And uh, we've got great resources, great links in terms of talking about that particular initiative. And I don't know, was it Valentine's Day that people did a walkout of the of protest in front of McDonald's? Was that uh, it, it was it wasn't Valentine's Day, it was February twelfth. February twelfth. And that was the fiftieth anniversary of the uh, Memphis Sanitation Strike. All right, so I'm going to have Neil do this thing. Really grateful to have you here. Go ahead and do your thing. Round of applause, everybody. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so. Um, you can take that out if you want because you're yeah, tall. That may, that may help. Wow, that's in there. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for uh, welcoming me today. And um, I, I was just really excited to see this happening and wanted to come and uh, didn't really prepare anything to say, but. You know, uh, as a part of Atlanta Jobs and Justice and the Fight for 15, we definitely always have stuff going on, so I'm more than welcome to invite y'all and share with y'all kind of what we're up to and, and how y'all can be a part of the Fight for 15, both, you know, citywide and, and, and the nationwide movement as well. Um, and so I don't know if y'all heard this um, just last year. The city of Atlanta made a commitment to raise all of its employees' wages up to $15 now. Have, have you all heard of that? So, so, so we do. Okay, so basically we ran a campaign over the last several years uh, encouraging the city of Atlanta to essentially establish a $15 minimum wage um, for all of its employees. And, you know, we would actually have asked them to make a $15 minimum wage for the entire city, but we have a state government that's not exactly supportive of living wages and, and workers, essentially. And they basically passed a law way back in, like, around 20, I think 2007 or uh, and whatnot, to preempt living wages being set by city governments and literally only allowing the state government to have uh, a say in, in what minimum wage is in the state of Georgia. And which, our state is one of four in the entire nation that's a lower minimum wage than the federal. So we, our, our minimum wage in Georgia is only $5.15 an hour. And what we're demanding is literally three times that as a part of the fight for 15. So, so we've been, you know, we, we basically re recognizing that cities and counties can't do this minimum wage effort. Uh, we basically have, have, have come up with a strategy that call on them to at least make their workers, the, the people that they give paychecks to directly, bring those folks up to 15. And so we've seen this happen. Fulton County did it in 2016. The city of Atlanta committed to it uh, last year. Uh, this the beginning of this year, DeKalb County raised all its workers up to $14 an hour, is committing to moving to 15. And so we're seeing this movement spread in the South, which a lot of people told us when we were calling for 15 that they're saying it was never going to happen, and in particular it's never going to happen in Georgia. So I think we basically did our best to make sure that we proved those folks wrong. And that any worker, no matter what status, no matter what type of job, deserves at least 15, if not more. We're even now looking at a, uh, what we're calling a reproductive justice wage where a single person or a single woman with two kids, and you can see it on this sheet, here in DeKalb County, it's $28 an hour for living wage. It's not 15. And so we're actually calling on, on our governments and our representatives to at least pay attention to that fact. We're not saying you have to instate a, a $28 minimum wage right now, but that we should be on a pathway to covering everyone and, and to making sure that it's a full family being able to take care of their family in a holistic way 
it was a real wage, and that the 15 is literally just the start. So we're starting to even move beyond 15, but we're at least calling on the 15 as the absolute floor, the absolute minimum that we're going to be meeting. So on February 27th, in our, in our new office, Atlanta Joe, Jobs Justice is going to be developing a, a strategy to, to get the state of Georgia to finally raise its minimum wage, and we'd like to involve, invite you all to join us. Um, that will be February 27th at 6 p.m., and it's uh, the new, new Jobs Justice office at 420 McDonough Boulevard. It's very close to the federal prison on the south end of the boulevard. Um, and, and that's going to be a day, of, uh, a day for us to really kind of look at what we've been able to accomplish on the city level and see what we can do on the state level. Um, there, there's many bills that have been introduced that actually move the state minimum wage to 15, and so we want to see what kind of provisions we can put in it that can actually be passed, uh, particularly if we can get you know better representation in state government uh, in this upcoming election. So, so that's one opportunity. And then the next day, February 28th, uh, we're going to be celebrating, um, or uh, we're going to be taking action at the Capitol for Black Women's Economic Justice Day. And this is essentially kind of celebrating the, the intersection between the last day of Black History Month and essentially the next day being the first day of Women's History Month. Bring, you know, essentially trying to bring those histories together to lift up the struggle that Black women are facing in the state of Georgia and to make sure their voices are being heard by our, our state leaders and, and that this demand for living wages and reproductive justice is being, is being uh, lifted up in our community. So, so we'd like to invite you all to that. That's going to be starting at 9 a.m. at the Georgia Capitol. And you can uh, follow us on Facebook for all the updates and all the information about those two upcoming events. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. I'm the Reverend Dr. Leah Fowler, and I am a graduate of the Agnes Scott College class of 1998. And I am participating in this teach-in today because I want my alma mater to support a living wage. The reason I care so much about this is because as a child, I was raised by my mom, who as a single working parent, uh, did not always make enough to to make ends meet and sometimes we had to make choices about buying food or paying bills uh, and we were even evicted from our apartment uh, several times and I wouldn't want anybody working for my college to have to make choices between feeding their kids um, and paying rent uh, and paying heating bills uh, and a $15 an hour um, minimum wage would help to not force parents to make those sorts of difficult decisions. Um, and this is something that I hope that, that the college will deeply consider and work toward affirming. Thank you. Hello, I was um, at the meeting when Delta and Home Depot in the old city hall downtown, I've forgotten which year, 2006, 2007, and Atlanta had agreed to a living wage and they were ready to roll with it. And then Delta and Home Depot came, and they said, oh, no, no, we can't do this. We'll, and they went to state legislature, and of course, that's what happened, mm. gone. But while we were there, they said, well, you know, if we don't get our way, we'll outsource all these jobs to other countries. And so I asked, in my best Southern voice, how are you gonna outsource cafeteria workers? 
How are you going to outsource people that clean? How are you going to outsource that to, you know, India or wherever? But it didn't do any good. We got a big laugh, but it didn't happen. And so now we call it a minimum wage instead of a living wage so that things could keep on happening. I got involved with this as a human rights trainer, which I've been doing for 25 years. And living wage has been core to the work that I do. Um, I do it at Agnes Scott because I'm a mother of an Agnes Scott graduate. So um, I just wanted to, to bring that up since Neil did. And I want to thank Jobs for Justice for the good work they do. And let's see, that's, that's I think, what I wanted to say, Gina, about this. All right, thank, thank you so much. stick around. We still have our musical selection from Victoria Wallace at 1230. Uh, but I'm very grateful that you brought up that uh, note about the significant amount of corporate pressure that was involved with that. I didn't know that side of the story. And it's interesting because I, I live been in Atlanta for 30 years and I'm, I'm in Midtown, so we get a good chance to see a lot of the art of Blank, Blank Foundation and all their involvement with of the West Side redevelopment, then you see Delta, like the Pride Parades, the AIDS Walk, and they're doing all this humanitarian, I mean, good, I mean, it's good, it's good advertising for them. And then you see what's happening behind the scenes, yeah. and how they're kind of pulling the rug out from people, very people are trying to do outreach to. So that's very important to note. It can be pretty insidious. We're, we're trying not to sound like conspiracy theorists, but there's always a connection. All right, well, we do once again want to open up the floor to folks who have stopped by and enjoyed lunch as well. <laughs> I didn't mean to single you out, I had to, though. Good to see you. And we've got Dr. Pippen here again from Red Studies. She's going to be saying a few words. Yes, I have something fun to report. Uh, apparently, we are interrupting the president teaches speech right Yay. now upstairs. <laughs> And we, we have been asked to turn it down a little. Uh, they didn't want to interrupt the song. They so. better not have. So we are being disruptive, y'all. So let's hear it. Yeah. We're doing our job. Yay! <laughs> we are starting a revolution. <laughs> Could you sing it again for us? <laughs> I love it. So please come and talk and let us know why you're here and um, support the movement. Thank you. Look at me like you didn't want to speak. <laughs> nope, she needs no introduction. Go on ahead and speak. I'm Devil Sperly Bale now. And uh, how old was I here at Agnes Scott? Seemed like a thousand years. At least 40, 46. 46. Yeah. Because you started. 16. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I first come here, uh, my take home pay was $19 week. We have gotten it better since then, but it still can be a lot more. I think the, the, the highest paid person now, which is probably just one person, may just be over the 15 now, but that's just one person among a whole lot of people here who do work at Agnes Scott that you wouldn't believe. You're, they're asked to clean two and three buildings and expected to do it and do it right. 
they, the college is not hiring any more people when they really should be because they are continuing to build buildings and uh, not hiring anybody to clean these buildings. And then getting upset when the buildings aren't clean. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out scientists to figure out why you know you're not getting the work that you think you need to be getting with the people that you got here. But uh, we're not mules and horses, so you know we just kind of doing the best we can with it. But uh, I'd just like to say one thing. Uh, I talked to President Keish at one point. Uh, we went to see her in her office, and we were trying to get her to come on board with the living wage campaign. And at that time, she said she would do what she could, but she had a boss also, the, the board of trustees. And at that time, I really thought she had more power than what she thought she had, because she had just got here. And board of trustees, this was the perfect time to ask for what you thought you needed to run your campus better. But it didn't resonate with her like that. And I just have a challenge to her now. Um, as part of her legacy at Agnes Scott, I'm asking that she does what she promised me that she would work on when I retired. I pulled her aside at uh, one of the retirement dinners that they gave me. And I told her I wanted her to continue to work on the living wage campaign. Well, now it's time for President Keish to make this a part of her legacy to give the lower paid people on this campus that you expect to do much more work than they're equipped to do with the bodies they have you about kill them. But I, my challenge is that you at least give the, make the base pay for all employees at Agnes Scott $15 an hour. And I think that would be a good legacy for her as president. <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is Ben Spade. I'm an organizer here with the Teamsters Union here in Atlanta, Georgia, Local 728. We represent UPS drivers and truck drivers, bus drivers throughout the state of Georgia. And I just wanted to record this little message to say that we support, as 9,000 Teamsters here in the state of Georgia, we support the demand for a real living wage for all Agnes Scott workers. We're part of this community too, just like Agnes Scott College is, and we believe that the university, the college has a responsibility to pay all of its workers a real living wage, respect their rights to form a union, maintain a union contract, but also provide for their families for the essential services that they provide. I'm a long-term uh, admirer and supporter of the Agnes Scott Living Wage Campaign. It inspired me to do similar work in Valdosta, Georgia, at Valdosta State University. Uh, to this day, I'm an organizer because of that work with the Living Wage Campaign. For any students uh, that are watching this, 
Uh, I just encourage you to understand the, the value that campus workers provide for everything that you do um, at Agnes Scott College and continue to support the critical work of the Agnes Scott Living Wage Campaign. Having a li living wage is not an option, it's a requirement in this economy and it's time that Agnes Scott's uh, leaders finally implement a real living wage for all workers. Seeing some, I did want to pause, make sure that folks who are part of the living wage campaign on the student level, on the faculty level, that we haven't already acknowledged, and get a chance to raise their hands, get a little acknowledgement going. I just need to know who else is going to these meetings and teaching now. It's been eight years. I see her, you're very good, very happy. Very happy to know and see that. Yes. And yeah, yeah. Oh, you need, there needs to be more of you there. Well, no, I'm not. Um, I Hi, I'm not the only student leader. Um, my counterpart, my partner in crime, couldn't be here today. Her name is Anna Bird, but she is amazing, and she is 110% dedicated to you know, fighting for the cause. Absolutely. It would be an honor to be compared to you guys, you know, and I hope that we can, you know, get the ball running, get some stuff accomplished. I think with, you know, President Zach coming in, I... Big plans for my first meeting with her. We're going to meet real quick before she gets, you know, I don't want to say brainwashed, but brainwashed. Um, yeah, get, get to her before they do. Right, absolutely. To talk about how important of an issue this is, and it's not something that we're going to sit quiet by and ignore. Absolutely not. You know, I, one of the things that I think has really prevented the students from engaging with this issue is, in all honesty, I think a lot of students really don't know. I think a lot of students just kind of assume, like, oh, we're at this college, of course we're going to pay, like, fair and equitable wages, but when confronted with the facts, I think the student body will engage. So we just got to get that information out there. And is, as far as what elements that you're seeing that are making you feel positive about, because we've got we to focus on the victories, can't chase everybody away. There's got to be something happy we can talk about. What are some elements about your current situation, your current experience? At so what year are you right now? I'm a junior, and I'm graduating in December. Hot dog. Look at you. Early release. Yes. My yes. Uh, what are some things that you're liking about what you're, what you're seeing now? Since you'll be transitioning, you'll be moving on to the next big adventure. What's giving you hope for the future in terms of uh, living wage, in terms of social justice campaigns here? That's a really great question. Um, definitely the thing that is giving me the most hope and the most inspiration is, you know, the reactions of students that I have talked to. You know, even just engaging with folks over Twitter, when, you know, I approached my friends and I was like, hey, did you know this is a thing? Would you be willing to, like, follow this Twitter, retweet it? You know, people are like, no, I didn't know this is a thing. I'm going to tell my friends. There's a real sense of, you know, we kids like to call ourselves, quote, unquote, woke. Um, I think there's a real sense of awakening and, like, you know, realization that's going on. But I think that the momentum from from that real that series of realizations and that awakening is really going to carry us into the future. Um, also, just like the community, you know, people form just over the course of my three years here, watching people form bonds with each other, be it students, staff, faculty, everybody in between. The relationships that we were able to forge here at Agnes Scott, because we're such a small school, really do lend themselves well to, you know, taking care of one another, making sure that everyone's needs are met. And I think 
once we we've built the relationships, once we start using those relationships, I think we'll really get really get things done. Always just hopeful to see the young Absolutely. people. Because you're the people that you're talking about, you're, you're those people for me. Huh. <laughs> so uh, definitely continuing that momentum, continuing to spread the word. Just make sure people know. There's a lot of well-meaning people who just don't know. Who are just mean. I mean, they say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, mm-hmm. and the bonding element of that road is going to be ignorance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's great insight to have. Continue to do what you're doing. Continue the, the, the twittering. The Twitter, yeah. And then the, the, the Facebook. And, uh, are we doing the Instagram? We are doing that Instagram. Instagram. I don't do the Instagram. Okay, so Anna's designated IG person. All right. And as far as the social media efficacy, it's really primarily what we were doing was Facebook and texting. and texting each other, running into each other on campus, more of these teachings, and then YouTube. Um, I don't know. I guess we feel like the, the Twitter... The oh God, <laughs> this, is, this is really like the number Snapchat. I have no idea how that works. How do you how do you feel like that plays is playing a role in your ability to be responsive and to affect the kind of changes that you feel? Like yeah, place? absolutely. I definitely think it plays. Social media absolutely plays a huge role in our ability to affect change because it is so fast. Um, you know, if I tweet something, I can get retweets within like within less than a minute. You know, Snapchat, I was. Broadcasting live some of the stuff that was going on, so people who weren't who weren't able to be here in person could see it on Twitter as a live feed. You you know, technology and the social media is really enabling us to engage with people who couldn't be here in like physical bodies, but also it's just so fast. And I think that's one of the things you have to stay on top of it because if I only tweet like once a week, and nobody will see my tweets, but if I tweet every single day, my chances of engaging people are much, much higher. So social media is absolutely critical to what we do. I work at Black Cat Cafe, and I've been with Airmark for about four years now. And I actually just gave my boss a heads up that this might be my last semester. No. Because I'm tired of struggling. Um, The four months in the summertime where we're not allowed to work and Agnes Scott can work is a struggle time. I come back in August. I'm trying to play catch-up, and then December comes around and we're off for another month. So I'm still trying to play catch-up, then December comes, then we're back January, and we're almost out of school already. So I'm still not even caught up in the summertime, and I love what I do. Like, I love my job to death, and it hurts me because I have to choose now. I have to do what I need to do for me and my child, but I actually like the work that I do, so it's, it's just like, where can we meet somewhere where I can still do what I love? and be able to live. So that's just where I'm at. I don't want to leave you guys. I love it. It's sad. I had a dream. I cried. I know. I love what I do. We love having you. We love you. It's hard. It's really hard. Priorities, what to pay first, because I, it's just not, I'm still trying to play catch up. And here I am looking for another job because summer's coming. But I hope I get to say. I'm not trying to figure out if there's a way I can work 16 hours in a day, but then I have a two-year-old and he needs my time. It's just like, where can I make up for the money without trying to go to another job and stay there? It's just a lot. I wish it was a better way to stay and live. But I have to get, yeah.
class of 2011. I support a true living wage at Agnes Scott College because our institutional refrain of global leadership will be empty without a proven and sustained commitment to race and gender justice. What do we want? Living wage! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Living wage! And when do we want it? Now! What do we need? Living wage! And when do we need it besides yesterday? Now! Very good. Keep it going. Thank you all so much. And I'll rise up. I'll rise like the day. I'll rise up. I'll rise unafraid. I'll rise up. And I'll do it a thousand times again. And I'll rise up, I like the waves, I'll rise up. The team that assists on Nothing Never Happens includes audio engineer China Wilson, assistant audio engineer Abigail Cox, and social media consultant Kirsten Schultz. The opening theme music was by Aviva and the Flying Penguins and performed by Aviva and Lance Eric Hagen. Music for the ending credits is Rise Up by Aldra Day, performed by Agnes Scott student Victoria Martin of the Joyful Noise Gospel Choir, and accompanied by that choir's director, Dr. Nathan Rigsby. <laughs>